Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verses 10 through 18. For in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will sing hymns to you in the congregation. Again, I will trust in him. And again, here I am with the children God gave me. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these so that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. For it is clear that he does not reach out to help angels, but to help Abraham's offspring. Therefore, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way, so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God, to make atonement for the sins of the people. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Aaron. Well, we're a few minutes behind our normal schedule, but all I need is for one person to say, that's okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, family waits on family, and, and that's how it is. If that wasn't true, then probably our family wouldn't eat often at family gatherings, so we're thankful for that. This Advent season, we're looking at the first four chapters in the book of Hebrews, the title for the series is Jesus, God, and Man. They're on the cover of the bulletin. That's the message of Christmas in four words. Jesus, God, and man. Jesus, 100% God. Hebrews says in chapter 1 that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his nature. And Jesus is 100% human, as we just read. He is like us in every way. All that it means to be God, Jesus is. All that it means to be human, Jesus is. And the teaching of Christianity and this passage that we're going to look at this morning is that this truth, this mystery, if it is lost or if it is sentimentalized to just, it's just a cute baby in a manger kind of sentimentality, or if it's taken for granted... And we don't sit in the full weight and the meaning and the truth of the mystery and the beauty and the wonder of those words. If any of those things happen, then Christianity has nothing to offer us in our sufferings. And Christianity has nothing really to say to us in our trials. But if it is true, if what this passage says is true, then Christianity offers us the most formidable, the most hopeful resource for human suffering that is possible. Not just on the other side of life, but in this life and in the middle of our trials and our challenges. That's what this passage has to offer us. As I've said the past two Sundays, uh, this series is a very non-cozy, non-comfortable kind of Advent series. We've talked about spiritual drifting. We've talked about dying. That was last week. 
Now, I have said also that I do love the cozy and the comfy and the warm and even the cheesy parts of Christmas. I love the Christmas holidays, that we, the way that we do it in our culture. But Advent and Christmas in the church calendar and over church tradition is not really the time for warm fuzzies. It's a time to ask, where is God in the darkness? It's probably not a total coincidence that we celebrate Christmas during what is the darkest time of the year. I think the darkest day is, what, two days from now or something like that in the entire calendar. Where is light and darkness? Where is God in the waiting? Where is God in my trials? Christmas says the answer is found in the baby in the manger, Jesus, God, and man. This week, our staff and elders and diaconate, we gather together for a Christmas celebration. And I already shared with this with everybody there. And for some reason, I feel like I want, I want to share this with everybody. But what for me is, hands down, the worst Christmas song ever created. It goes like this. The party's on. The feeling's here. That only comes this time of year. A little bit later, the party's on, the spirit's up, and we're here tonight, and that's enough. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. That's the worst Christmas song ever. It's a joke. You guys can laugh. (laughs) I'm sorry if you love that Christmas song, and I just ruined it for you. My point of sharing that is if you're in a trial right now, if you are going through something challenging right now, something hard, These words obviously would not offer you anything hopeful or helpful. It's okay, the party's on. We're here tonight and that's enough. You know, that's not going to help you if you're dealing with something real and hard in your life. And the reason I'm sharing all this is because sometimes we hear the story of Christmas in the same way, very sentimental. Oh, it's just that time of year and that's enough. Shepherds, angels, babies, swaddling cloths, etc. This passage brings Christmas right into the hardest, the most real challenges we face in life and shows us that it is the truth of Christmas that will make the difference and to help us get through. That really understanding, really believing Jesus is God and man is what prepares us for suffering. It's what gets us through it and what draws us to God in the middle of it. So today we're going to talk about Christmas for the suffering. First point, our temptations in suffering. The main topic of this whole passage from chapter 2, verse 10 to the end here, verse 18, the main topic is suffering. If you look at verse 10, that's how it begins. It begins by talking about suffering. In verse 10, it says, Jesus was made a perfect pioneer of our salvation through sufferings. It ends by talking about suffering. If you look at verse 18, since he himself has suffered, when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. These are the bookends of the passage. It begins and ends with suffering. He's connecting Jesus' suffering to theirs and also to ours. Now, there are many places in the Bible that address and talk about our suffering, how to handle it, how to find hope in it. What this passage does that is unique, that is special, is to connect two things 
that we don't often connect together, suffering and temptation. If you look at verse 18 again, he's saying, Jesus has suffered when he was tempted, so he's able to help those who are tempted, specifically those who are tempted while suffering. Now, when we talk about temptation and use that word, we usually talk about things like I'm being so tempted by that like extra slice of cheesecake or something like that. Or we talk about sexual temptation, things like that. But the word temptation is much, much broader than this. The word can be translated trial or test. And the best way to understand it here in this passage is to understand it kind of as a combination of all three, temptation, trial, test. Here's how it works. When we face a trial, when we're in suffering, it tests or reveals or shows us what our faith is really in. That is revealed in the middle of our suffering, like, really like nothing else, and what our hope is really built on. And when we experience the unique temptations we face, when we suffer through the trials of life, whether they're big or small, these are different temptations than we face when things are comfortable and good and moving along nice and easy. When things are good, we are tempted to forget God and think, I don't really need God. Things are good. But when things are hard, we are tempted to doubt God and wonder, is God there when I really need him? So the temptations in comfort and good times are different than the temptations when things are hard. And it's important for us to remember when we talk about temptation, temptation in itself is not wrongdoing or sin. Later in the same book, a couple chapters later in Hebrews, the author says Jesus was tempted in every way, every way, but without sin. So temptation doesn't mean sin. That's Hebrews 4.15. We could define a temptation as any circumstance or any desire or any occasion that draws us or lures us or entices us away from trusting God and doing His will for us. And the point here is suffering does this. It lures us and draws us away from God in a way that's different than success or good times. An example of this is from the life of Jesus when he was facing his greatest temptation and trial. In the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he was arrested, Jesus was praying and he told his disciples, pray that you won't enter into temptation. What is he doing? He's trying to prepare them for the temptation that was coming with suffering and trial that they were all about to face. The greatest suffering and trial that they faced since they started following him. He said, pray that you won't enter in. Temptation is coming because suffering is coming. So Jesus says, be prepared, pray so you don't enter in when it does come. We said this a couple weeks ago, but the book of Hebrews, it was written to people who were drifting away from their faith. It was, it was a bunch of people who, as you read the book, you realize they all could have pointed to a time in their lives, in their spiritual lives, when they would have said, I started with a lot of commitment. I felt vibrant spiritually. They were all making great sacrifices to serve and live out their faith in Jesus. It says they were ministering to prisoners, 
Some were being publicly persecuted for their faith. But now, in chapter 2, verse 1, we find many were drifting. They were neglecting their relationship to God, and they began to neglect their relationship to each other. It says they neglected the habit of gathering together in chapter 10. And I think as we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that describes a lot of us right now. Maybe that describes you. Now, you could point to a time when you felt vibrant spiritually, but now you just feel like you've drifted. And if you ask the people in, uh, the, in the book of Hebrews, the, the audience it was written to, why? Why do you think you're drifting? The context of Hebrew tells us they probably all would have pointed to the trials, the suffering that they were either experiencing or anticipating that was going to come into their lives. And so the questions that they were dealing with were things like, where is God in this? Why is God allowing this? Why doesn't he stop this? Is he going to come through with a miracle here? How is my faith making any difference, really? Am I just supposed to wait until heaven? And being a Christian, it's not making my life any easier. As you read the book of Hebrews, you see these were the things that they were they were asking. These are the things that they were dealing with, and it was causing them to drift further and further away from God. Let me ask us, what about us, and what about you? These past two-plus years, all of us have experienced a trial that we couldn't have imagined, going through the pandemic and the continuance of that. Just all that in the background, all the cultural tension, all the different difficulties and the conflicts that are surrounding us, it seems to me that it's made any personal trial, any personal challenge or suffering even more difficult than it would have been. The book of Hebrews would cause us all to ask this question and invite us to consider this question. What is the temptation? What are the temptations that have come along with my trial? Because as we've seen, suffering comes with temptation. And the book of Hebrews wants us to be prepared for that. And when we don't, it's not really an option of, well, I'm just not going to think about that. Uh, I can just uh, coast through that. I just need to get through this particular hardship or trial. When we don't ask that question, when we don't consider that, we have to do something in our trials, in our suffering to get through. Some of our favorite options are escape. We try to escape the pain. We try to escape the intensity. We try to escape the fear of that suffering and trial. We do that in all sorts of ways, through addiction and distraction. Or we can harden our hearts because suffering and trials are so hard. We have to harden ourselves to the pain and the fear and the worry and everything we're experiencing just to get through. And Hebrews says, what are your temptations? Because with suffering always comes temptation. Let's move to the second point. That's not all. That's, that's the framework, that's the, the topic that this passage is talking about. 
with suffering comes temptation. But what this passage really wants us to consider is that Jesus knows and he understands the temptations human beings face in suffering. That he knows the temptations and he understands the temptations that you face in your suffering more than anyone else possibly can. If we understand what this means, it's profound. It's an incredible resource to help us through our suffering. I've talked about the bookends of the text. Now let's get to the meat of the passage here in verses 11 through 17, all the way up to where it says, so that. What is happening here? The author of Hebrews is driving home in all of these verses, building on one after the other the full humanity of Jesus. And here he's giving us a theology of incarnation. In verse 11, he says, we're all in the same family. Jesus calls us his brothers and sisters. He repeats that in verse 11 and in verse 12. Then he says, since we have flesh and blood, since we have that, he shared in our flesh and blood, verse 14. And then in verse 17, he says, he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every way. So driving home over and over again, in every way possible, Jesus, who is fully God, he's already told us that at the beginning of this letter, is fully human. What does this mean? Jesus shared with us our humanity, all of its needs and limitations. He got tired. He understood what it meant to be hungry, even hangry. He's a human. Jesus shares with us the human suffering of having flesh and blood in a broken world, of having our bodies, of sickness and physical pain. Jesus is like us in every way, beyond just flesh and blood. He knows all the human emotions we feel, fear, anger, worry, concern, anxiety. He knows all the temptations that come with human suffering from living in a broken world where things are unjust, where things are not the way that they should be. He understands in all of these things all the ways that a human being is drawn away from trusting in God, from obeying God, from not escaping and hardening their hearts, but leaning further in to trust. He knows all of that. Now, you might say, really? If he is fully God, does he really know what it's like when we suffer? He doesn't really get it. He was perfect. He never gave in to temptation when he suffered. That's what Hebrews 4.15 says. He was tempted in every way, but without sin. You say he doesn't really understand. No. Let me show you why the very opposite is true. That he gets it more than anyone else possibly could. And the person who's helped me more than anyone else understand this is C.S. Lewis. If you look at the beginning of your uh, bulletin, I think we have the quote up here. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. In mere Christianity, on this concept, he says, we never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. The only complete realist. This has been so helpful for me 
He's saying, if you give in to temptation right away, you don't really know anything about temptation. And you can't help anybody else to fight their temptation. You're just giving in. He said, I understand the temptation of chocolate cookies. But every time you see one, you eat it. You say, I, I understand because every time I see a cookie, I eat it right away. No, you can't help anybody in their temptation because you're giving in. Or, for example, anger. Every time that something bothers you or inconveniences you, you just blow up right away. You have a short fuse and you just respond. Then you really have no idea what it's like to be tempted by anger because you're always just constantly entering into that temptation. But if you experience things that make you angry and bother you and you resist the temptation to sin in anger, to blow up and to release it all no matter what harm it causes other people, then you know something of the temptation of anger. You understand it and you can help others with it. Hebrews is saying this is Jesus for every human temptation Every human temptation that comes to us when we suffer and when we go through a trial. I love how Lewis says that Jesus, this means he's the only complete realist. I love that. That Jesus doesn't treat us according to the ideal, but the real. The reality of how hard it is for a human being to trust God when they're suffering. That's how Jesus treats us in that reality. He knows that. For us to hold on to hope in a trial just to make it through a day when things are hard and to continue to hold on to trust God in the middle of all that. Now, most of us here in Orange County, most of us are pretty high achievers, I would say. Successful people in Orange County. And most of us treat ourselves, I think, according to the ideal not the real. So in our trials, this is how it goes. We say to ourselves, I should be able to handle this. I've got this. This shouldn't be so hard for me. We often compare our suffering and trials to other people. We say, well, these people have it so much worse than me, so why am I complaining? What do I have to gripe about? I just need to suck it up. And so we put our best face forward, we try not to show weakness, and we power through, and we stuff our hurt, our pain, our questions, and our doubt, and try to press on through the temptations that come to us when life is hard. What does Jesus say to us here? He says this to us, friends, you don't have to pretend with me. I know how hard it is. I know what really goes on in the human heart when you suffer, when you're in a trial. When we suffer and go through a trial and we downplay and we don't admit all the temptations that we have to escape or harden our hearts to, to, to get angry, to not trust, to doubt God, what happens in our hearts at that time? We have to suffer through whatever we're suffering through and then we have to, on top of that, suffer from being alone in all of it from all the pain and the pressure of pretending that it's not that bad. What we need to know is this, and it's in verse 11. He is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Jesus is not ashamed of us in our temptations. 
We don't have to hide them from him. We can honestly admit them to him, whatever they might be. Both those we are resisting and fighting and even those that we have given into. He is not ashamed of us. Now, you might be wondering, if you see this text here, when did Jesus say this? It's quoted on the lips of Jesus. He is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. In verse 12, what the author is doing here in Hebrews is quoting from Psalm 22. Some of you may know when Jesus was praying and himself quoted from Psalm 22. It's in his most intense moment of suffering on the cross before he breathed his last. Psalm 22 is one of the most intense psalms of suffering in the Bible. Verse 1 says, My God, my God, why have you abandoned or forsaken me? That's verse 1. And what we know is when somebody quotes a verse from a text in the Old Testament, they're not just thinking about that verse. They didn't have verse numbers back then. They're thinking about the entire prayer. And this was the prayer Jesus was praying while he was suffering in his most intense moment of suffering and temptation. This psalm and prayer was on his mind. And Psalm 22 is a prayer that most of us would be ashamed to pray these words. It says, why are you so far, God, from my deliverance and from the words of my groaning? It's a temptation to believe God has abandoned us and forgotten us in our suffering. This is what Jesus was praying. Verse 2 says, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer by night, and I have no rest It's a temptation to believe that prayer doesn't do anything. In verse 4, the prayer continues. Our ancestors trusted in you. They trusted and you rescued them. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. But the prayer goes on. I am a worm. I'm not a man. I'm scorned by mankind and despised by people. And there is a temptation to think God answers the prayers of other people. Look at their lives, but he's not answering my prayer. It goes on, I'm poured out like water. All my bones are disjointed. My heart, it's like melting within me. My strength is dried up like baked clay. You put me in the dust of death, God. You are doing this to me. There's a turning point in this prayer in verses 19 through 21. We're getting to the point where Hebrews quotes this. In the fire of all this temptation, somehow this psalmist Somehow Jesus, who prayed this prayer, said, I'm holding on to a thread and I'm praying, but you, Lord, don't be far away. Come quickly to help me. Rescue my life. Save me from the lion's mouth. And there's this turning point that happens and all of a sudden it says, you answered me and I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. That's when Jesus said this and his most intense experience of temptation. He's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters because he knows just how hard it is, how impossible it feels for us to trust God in the middle of our trials and our suffering. He says, don't be ashamed. I prayed Psalm 22. You can pray Psalm 22. You don't have to hide the temptations 
that even I prayed through in my experience of temptation. I'm not ashamed. If Christmas is true, then we don't have anything that we need to hide from God. We don't have to pretend when we come to Him with our struggles and temptations. This is what Christmas is saying. God Himself will understand more than any other human being possibly could. Here's an application for our cultural moment. There's a lot of conflict and disagreement. There's all kinds of conflict going on and keeps raging all around us. Could you consider this? This is what hit me this week. Can we consider that in all the trials and suffering we've gone through together, that people are going through the temptations of suffering? Some are fighting it. Others are not fighting it very well. Some are angry, some are hurt, some are scared. Many people are not handling the temptations well. Resorting to anger and fear and attacking. Hebrews chapter 2 would encourage us all to consider in suffering there is great temptation. We'll talk about this more. But as Jesus is merciful to us, Maybe we can extend mercy to others instead of attacking back, meeting anger with anger and response with response. Another application. In my office, I have um, hanging up on my wall a big sticky note that I brought here a few months ago. It's from our leadership retreat, and it's the six-year dream for our church. And these are phrases and words that our leadership came up with as we were dreaming about what God might do in our church, the kind of church we will be in six years. And one of the things that somebody mentioned and we put up on there was greater vulnerability and interdependence. That's a great, that's a great phrase. That's what we're dreaming, that we would be vulnerable, that we would uh, be interdependent, that we would meet each other's needs. But these words, as I was meditating on this text, I felt like I needed to write them up there and add them. The words, honesty and safety. It takes honesty and safety to be vulnerable with one another. Christmas, the gospel, means like Jesus, we can be realists. We can be real about temptations. In order to be a vulnerable community, no one should feel shame about admitting their struggles and temptations, especially when they're suffering and in trials. No one should feel shame about honestly confessing doubt, questions, struggle, and even sin, no matter what it is. The truth is the church has not always been a safe place, to be honest. And there are many stories that we might be able to share, and that is tragic, and there is abuse, and that is terrible happening within the church, and that has happened. People have been hurt or rejected by the church for sharing their temptations. And what Hebrews would tell us is that if our Savior, Jesus, God, and man is not ashamed, then so his people need to learn to grow into being an honest and safe community where no one would feel the shame of saying, here is how I'm struggling. To summarize, with suffering comes temptation. But Hebrews says Jesus knows and understands our temptations better than anyone else possibly can. Lastly, Jesus' help in our temptations. Jesus 
not only knows and understands our temptations, but here in verse 17 and 18, Hebrews says, he can help us through suffering and the temptations that come with it better than anybody else possibly could. I want to say something that might sound off and strange or wrong to you, and that's this. The answer to your temptations is not, don't give in to them and obey. That is not the answer. We can be realists because you cannot do that. As sinful human beings, only Jesus is the one who's never sinned and never given in to temptation. We will. We can be realists. Sinful human beings will enter into temptation. You can't resist on your own, especially when you're suffering, when you're weak and tired and weary and doubting and hanging on by a thread. The answer to temptation here is not just don't give in to it, don't do it, just obey. The answer is Christmas. Jesus had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest because we will fall into doubt, unbelief. We will escape into all kinds of sin. We will harden our hearts. So Jesus, the Son of God, became a man to atone for our sins by his own death. The answer to our temptations to doubt and fear and worry and escaping when life is hard is get help from the high priest. The job of a priest can be simply put like this, to bring God to people and to bring people to God. And Hebrews is saying, because of Christmas, Jesus, God, and man, there is no one else who can bring you to God like Jesus. There is no one who can bring God to you like Jesus. That is why he came. This is what Jesus does for people who are suffering. And what this does for us is make it far more personal and powerful than just a vague concept or idea. God understands and cares for you. God loves you in your suffering. That idea can only get you so far. This has to be, friends, very personal. We are given a person. We are given Jesus, the high priest. Not a concept, not an idea. No, the real and historical truth that Jesus is God and man. A concept is not enough to help us in our temptation and our suffering. We need a person who understands. We need a person who knows. We need a person who can help, and we have one in Jesus. How does he help us when we are suffering in a trial? How does he help us prepare for a trial? How might he help you right now if you are in the middle of struggling right now? Let's look back at verse 16. There's a powerful image here. It's clear that he does not reach out to help angels, but to help Abraham's offspring. In that verb, reach out to help, we have the image there. This is the image of that word of a hand coming down to reach and grab and help. There are many movies you could probably think of a, a bunch of different movies, a dozen movies where that image is used, where somebody's falling in the water, right, and drowning, or somebody's falling off a building, or somebody's falling down, and you get the image of a hand coming down, right? A powerful hand, somebody who can reach and help them up and save them. 
And usually you get the image of that hand coming down, grabbing a hold of that person or of their arm. And then the second image is just the other hand, the hand of the drowning person, the hand of the person hanging off the building just grabbing on. Friends, that's the image of what it means to trust God, to trust Jesus, to grab a hold of him. He is reaching down. He has reached down to grab us. Just squeeze and hold on to him. As one who has gone through suffering to its greatest depths, in the valley of the shadow of death, Jesus says, take my hand. Take my hand. I can lead you closer to God in this. I know you don't see how I can do it. I can lead you. Take my hand. I will lead you through this. I've already gone through it all. I did it. So that on the other side of your trials, whatever it might be and how hard it is, there will be glory and healing and redemption. Trust me. Grab a hold. Jesus is merciful. If you come to him with your temptation and your sin, he will meet you with understanding and compassion. He is merciful. Jesus is faithful. If you come to him with your suffering and your temptation and your sin, you can count on him to always be safe and available and trustworthy. Friends, this is our preparation for when suffering and trial come. And if that is where you are right now, I invite you to grab a hold. He is merciful and he is faithful. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your mercy and faithfulness. I pray for all of us that this would sink deep, deep into our hearts that this would go beyond just a concept that you care, that you love us. Beyond the concept of compassion to personal trust. For us, especially those who are right now in the middle of a struggle and can't see their way to the other side, are having trouble seeing you, don't know how to pray, and feel the prayers like the prayers of Psalm 22 as the main prayers that reflect the honest place of their hearts before you. Jesus, reach out your hand. Thank you that you have already reached down fully and completely as one of us. Grab a hold of us, especially those who are struggling and suffering right now. And give them the strength and the faith to grab a hold of you. Thank you that you will never let go. Thank you that you are not ashamed of us no matter what's going on inside of us. It almost seems too good to be true. But thank you that no matter what it is, we can trust you to be merciful and always faithful. We give you thanks. Amen.